0: Exposure. This is an area of work that we've worked on very closely with Compass over the last couple of years. Um, the research that this briefing is based on was commissioned by the Dutch government a couple of years ago, and I'll go into why a bit later. Um, and they wanted to understand mainstreaming processes in four countries, Denmark, France, Germany, and the UK. And Ben and Sinder Salih, uh wrote our UK report on mainstreaming, and since then we've Created a new project called Upstream, which looks at mainstreaming in a broader sense. So here's the Migration Policy Institute Europe. Uh, many of you may be familiar with the Migration Policy Institute, which is um, a research institute dedicated solely to the study of migration worldwide. Headquarters in Washington, DC. And in two and a half years ago, we created our sister office, the Migration Policy Institute Europe, here in Brussels. And we focus an enormous amount on migrant integration policies, on labour migration and legal migration issues. Um, we look at EU policy development. We also look at comparative national dynamics um, across Europe. And uh, the goal is to really link the research and evidence base to policymaking and what policymakers are trying to understand as they formulate hopefully better policy. We've been interested in what governments can do and are doing to promote a process of integration across Europe. And what we noticed is that in the UK, policy responsibility for integration is diffused through a range of national and local agencies, which often have unclear and overlapping priorities. But by contrast, in mainland Europe, it's a slightly different situation. Um, In countries like the Netherlands and Denmark, they've uh, tended to create specialist units and actors within government that design and manage integration policies overall, often sort of using quite um, strict national models for integration. So the goal for this morning for us is to explore a little how this is changing in mainland Europe, um, how these policymakers are, are grappling with the need to infuse integration policies across government, across mainstream policy portfolios, but also what can be learned like from the British experience. We sort of describe the, the British experience as a kind of de facto mainstreamed approach it was already designed as a mainstreamed approach as opposed to what policymakers on mainland Europe are trying to do now, which is create a mainstreaming approach. Two notes (coughs) on terminology before we uh, really kick off is um, I'm very aware through conversations with Ben over the last few years that integration is a term that does not sit comfortably in the UK lexicon Um, and is not frequently used, and if it is, it's, it's sometimes used pejoratively compared with other frames such as community cohesion. We're using integration as a generalised term to discuss the process through which immigrants become part of society, but we're not making reference to any particular model ideology. We're talking about the cluster of policies that that entails. And we sort of um, can identify two, two broad dimensions of that. One is sort of policies specifically focused on newly arrived, so those specific reception policies that help people settle into the country in the first weeks and months and possibly the first couple of years. And then the long-term integration policy, which is that process... Uh, that may actually be, and is turning out to be in many countries, a multi-generational process of making sure that that people with immigrant backgrounds have the same opportunities as the native population. And secondly, we're using a broad definition of immigrant groups to include second and third generations who might also experience disadvantage due to their background. This isn't quite as broad as the UK definition of minority policy, but many countries in mainland Europe... Uh, talk about people with immigrant background to include second and third generation automatically, partly because they've identified noticeable gaps in terms of outcome, in terms of education, employment, etc. So we're using it as a broad definition because we think it's important for for the concept of mainstreaming to think broadly about this. So immigrant integration is at a crossroads. Um, We've seen a sort of shift in approach And a mainstreaming discourse emerged largely in the last four to five years, though it has been discussed at EU level before that. The Common Basic Principles on integration in 2005 had a specific principle talking about the need to adopt a mainstreamed approach, and I think everyone happily ignored them for another three or four years before starting to think about that. Most integration policies across Europe really only emerged in the last 15 years or so. Um, In... The Netherlands, it's slightly different. That process has been going on for several, several decades and gone through several evolutions. And if you ever want to read someone interesting on that, I recommend Peter Scholten at Erasmus University, who's talked about the generations of policy development that have occurred in the Dutch context. But, for example, in Denmark, the first Integration Act was uh, put together in 1999, which led to the creation of a dedicated uh, Ministry for Refugees, Immigration and Integration in 2001. In Germany, the realization was uh, slightly more recent. There was a so-called PISA shock that rippled through policy, the policymaking world in Germany as uh, government as the first PISA data in the early 2000s revealed to Germany just how far... Um, particularly the second generation, but also anyone with immigrant background in Germany, had fallen behind in the education system. And they were really quite shocked to see the dramatic gap between the native and immigrant population and suddenly realised that a more concerted effort towards integration was needed. There was a commission on integration headed by Rita Sussmuth, and the first policies were created in about 2005. France is a slightly special case um, and sort of sits almost on a continuum with the UK in the sense that the uh, concept of egalitarianism within France makes it very difficult for policymakers to be able to identify people by ethnicity or background. Once you are French, you are French. We see no difference. In practical terms, that isn't the case, and there are quite stark differences um, in outcome and uh, disadvantage for some groups. But because of that, most of their integration policies are directed specifically at newcomers. Um, and really thought about in the sense that we will think about your your integration in the early stages, but beyond that, once you have become French, whether we see you as French or not, you are uh, the same as everyone else, and you uh, are, are subject to generic policies. But this started to change in 2010, 2011. In Denmark, after a change in government in 2011, the government said, well, we're going to abolish the Ministry for Refugees, Immigration and Integration. We're actually just going to spread the responsibilities for uh, integration through about four or five different ministries, the Ministry of Justice, Social Affairs, Education and Employment, for example. <clears throat> so each, part, each of them have different parts of the responsibilities. When we went up to talk to them, it wasn't always clear who had responsibility for what, and some things seemed to have fallen through the gaps, which is something we can come back to. In Germany, the, uh, the cooperation, sort of more institutionalised cooperation um, led to the development of a, a Commissioner for Integration that sits in the Chancellor's office um, and a, a new set of devolved responsibilities. So the Commissioner for Integration, the fact that the Commissioner sits in the Chancellor's office is indicative of their desire to create a mainstreamed approach. The Chancellor oversees all policy areas. Therefore, it, it's, a, it's a position of political importance. It's demonstrating that this is important for Germany, but it also allows them that sort of coordinating role over different, different departments across government, but also with the lander area. And in Germany, the regions, the lander, in it have quite a lot of competence for actually implementing integration policy. So what you've seen in the last few years is this diffusion of responsibility across government, cross-cutting horizontally and vertically. Of course, this is just to highlight that there's a a changing discourse. Um, If integration could be defined purely through the governance structures that are chosen, I think many of us would have gone home years ago because we wouldn't be bothering (laughs) with having these discussions. It would be done if you could just do it through um, creating particular agencies and governance structures. But it exemplifies a change which responds to a changing socio-political context, but also a number of other drivers. And I just want to run through those quickly before turning, uh, allowing Melita to explain exactly what this mainstreaming concept is in practice. The changing demographics across Europe have been an enormous driver. For communities and classrooms, particularly in urban areas, it's no longer to, to, to speak of a minority population with immigrant backgrounds. In many urban areas, and I think notably places like Rotterdam, Amsterdam, Antwerp, Brussels... Classrooms have a majority of kids with an immigrant background. Um, particular neighbourhoods are majority immigrant background. If we're talking about mainstream policies and the clientele for those mainstream policies, if the majority of people or a significant proportion have immigrant background, we're not talking about a niche policy area to be dealt with the specialists. We're talking about adapting public policy. So, diversity writ large and raising the question for policymakers. If the policies are meant for the whole population and they're only representing the needs of a minority, are they really mainstream policies? But linked to this and the trigger for this discussion, as we saw in Germany, is uh, the increase in the population that is defined as a second or third generation population and the fact that they did tend to be falling behind in the data that was gathered by various organisations over the last 10 years. The realisation that they're struggling to catch up to their native peers and that they're experiencing significant barriers in the labour market in terms of education outcomes, suddenly became an issue of concern for policymakers, partly for for, for principles of equality and equal treatment, but also because this is the future labour force for Europe. If you are failing this significant and growing population in Europe, what does that say about the future of European society as a whole? I think there's also an additional driver, which is the growing frustration with existing policy, And the idea that integration models have failed. Um, I personally have always been struck by a comment made by Marco Martinello of the University of Liège when someone told him that multiculturalism has failed. He said, can you really call a policy a failure if you never really tried it in the first place? So we have an idea that we had these integration models across Europe that were implemented and we didn't see results, therefore they failed and we need a new model. So people are looking for new approaches. I think they're also aware that deeper interventions are necessary, that that, that, that superficial and specialist approaches are no longer uh, cutting the mustard, and there needs to be a much more cross-government approach. And the idea, one hopes, is that this also leads to to, to, a development... That we've outgrown integration models. For me, national integration models have always been more a reflection of a government's self identification of what an immigration, immigrant population should be, rather than an actual policy approach that leads to, to, to specific goals and results. So perhaps mainstreaming can lead us away from these constricting integration models and, and the inevitable political discussions that result, and actually a question about what is needed within a particular society. And finally, the realpolitik of this, um, which has possibly been the catalyst for many of the changes, and certainly changes in the Netherlands, um, I'd like to avoid the idea that this is all about um, the recent economic crisis, but there have been two dimensions of this that have spurred policy developments in various countries. First, budget cuts. Integration in many countries, is, because of its isolation and slightly specialist nature, was often seen as a luxury policy and one that could be cut fairly easily. In the UK, we've seen cuts in various parts of the integration policy over the last few years, but notably other places, particularly Spain, but also the Netherlands. Mainstreaming reflects a new way of working for those policymakers who work on integration but no longer have the budget to implement that policy. How do they find a way to encourage other actors within government who have responsibility for for immigrant populations to to ensure their policy reaches those groups? Um, It's a challenge because you're asking already stretched policymakers with stretched budgets to take into account yet another priority, that of immigrant populations. But immigrant integration policymakers often don't have a particular alternative. And the public discourse on immigration and integration has also affected some policymakers' desire to reduce the appearance of prioritising immigrant needs over the needs of the general population at a time when the economic crisis has hit that general population very hard. The specific example here, which was actually a driver for this research, is the Netherlands. Um, The position of the PVV, which is the the far-right group in the Netherlands, as an informal coalition partner in the the government uh, four years ago, Um, led to a couple of changes in policy. One is an explicit policy commitment not to target immigrant groups through policy. So not allowed to do integration policy in that targeted fashion, which meant that the Dutch policymakers were looking for another way to implement policy by using different target groups and different ways of formulating um, how to address the needs of immigrant groups. Um, But also a severe cut in the budget for integration For many of the integration measures that had hitherto been very well financed within, within the Netherlands. So, Dutch policymakers were looking around Europe and saying, well, if we can't do it the way we've always done it, how do we find out how other countries have created mainstream policies that can address the needs of immigrant groups? So, there's a positive side to this, which has come from a negative place, which is if mainstream policies can address needs without necessarily delineating immigrant status. It allows policymakers to look at the whole community rather than perhaps stigmatizing particular populations as a disadvantage but actually address broader needs that might be socioeconomic in nature, that might not be specific to immigrant background, but are predominantly felt by immigrant groups. So that's my introduction, and I'm passing over to Melissa to tell you exactly what we found during this research.
1: I'll start first by um, showcasing a number of findings or characteristics of the study uh, that we did one year. I'll be brief, but afterwards I think we can just uh, ask questions and we can go into more detail. So Liz already mentioned that mainstreaming happens at the level of governance, but we've also found this process to happen through discourse and through concrete policies. So for instance, in the Danish case, as they changed government and they abolished the the Ministry of um, Immigration and Integration, they also changed their political discourse explicitly. So they moved away from targeted integration policies Uh, aimed at only one slice of the population, and they said, we need an inclusive society for everyone. So, um, kind of moving away from the mantra of integration to social cohesion and social inclusion policies. And, for instance, uh, this also trickled down to the local level. The city of Copenhagen uh, explicitly said they want to be the most socially inclusive city in Europe in 2015. So, a complete uh, move away at the political communication level, if you will, away from integration policy Uh, to social social cohesion social inclusion. Um, Governance, Liz already mentioned. What does this mean in practice? For instance, in Germany, uh, you have a commissioner at the national level responsible for immigration and integration, but also given that uh, Germany is a federal uh, country, meaning that every state level has a commissioner for integration or a a minister which is responsible for, for instance, family affairs, social affairs, but also integration. And there's an institutionalised coordination between these levels, so not just across departments within one government level, but also across different uh, government levels. Uh, And these people uh, come together or sit together on a regular basis. Uh, So there's a clear kind of division of mandates and responsibilities and and institutionalised sharing. And then uh, finally, and I'll I'll go into that uh, in a bit, concrete policies, meaning that Immigrant integration priorities are no longer addressed through a a siloed uh, policy, but through mainstream policies such as education, employment, housing, youth, and so on. So in practice, this means that uh, the responsibilities concerning immigrant integration are effectively shared and the competences as well. So while these responsibilities are shared across different departments, um, and this is to a varying, varying degree... In many cases, uh, the country, member states in, in the European Union still have some department in one of the ministries that carries final responsibility to oversee things. Now, in some in some cases, it works better than others. We've seen that in Germany, these mandates are very clear. Uh, in Denmark, they're still kind of figuring out how to do this effectively uh, because they're all, let's say, following the same line of we need to mainstream but how to do it effectively and who do do we turn to, who has final decision power, and how how to track whether things are happening or not. So in practice, um, I've called this to go beyond remedial or or, uh, add-on policies, although these still exist as well. It means that sometimes, for instance, policies can be actually reformed to be more inclusive. For instance, in Germany, although this is also the case in Denmark, up until a few years ago, you used to have, or the majority of schools, primary and secondary, were half day schools, which meant that pupils went home at one o'clock uh, in the afternoon. Uh, now, already more than 50% are all day schools uh, because they've realised it's beneficial to everyone, but in particular to vulnerable children and children of immigrant background, to stay in school longer, not just to gain more kind of basic numerical and verbal uh, skills, but also to socialise with other children. It's better for the language acquisition. Uh, So this is a kind of um, mainstream reform of a mainstream education system, uh, which disproportionately affects the most vulnerable pupils without addressing them uh, specifically, without saying, this is a reform that we did just for uh, children of immigrant background. You also have uh, a kind of tweaking of the system, uh, which then could be seen as a slight add-on policy, for instance, also in Germany, they've uh, they've introduced um, language tests at the age of, let's say, between four and six at the at the primary school entry level. So before uh, pupils enter primary school, everyone in all states in Germany needs to take a language test, regardless of ethnicity or migrant status or background. So this allows to um, timely measure or in, investigate what the language level is of pupils entering school. However, this uh, poses the kind of larger question of responsibility, which is not clear in all states yet, is who takes care of a certain language gap once you've uh, effectively analysed this? Is it, do you, basically, do you send the children back to their parents? Is it the parents' responsibility? Or is it the, the schools who take care of this? And this is something that, uh, when we talk to practitioners, is, is not the same everywhere, so it does pose a challenge. Another way of, of, of dealing with this, and we saw this in France, is um, and I'm sure it will be familiar to you because uh, it's uh, somewhat similar to, to the UK approach, is to approach certain needs through, through an area approach, so through neighbourhood policies. France is not, a, is not allowed, as, as Liz said, to, to target according to ethnicity or immigrant background. So what they do, they, they have a lot of... Um, support policies, lots of funds uh, that they can give to uh, deprived areas and deprived neighborhoods, what they call priority zones, Um, and these are uh, largely identified on the basis of poverty. In practice, a large amount of uh, people with an immigrant background live in these kind of areas. However, not all of them live in these areas, and the question is how... Basically, how poor do you have to be to, to be able to be reached by these kind of policies? And what if you don't live in, in an area like that? Uh, are you still entitled uh, to receive a certain uh, amount of, of, of support or what these, what these policies get? Then well, the questions that we've formulated, and I'll come back to them in a second, is what the, um, what the opportunities and, and, and challenges are of, um, of, of, of mainstreaming. By the way, we're still looking for a better word. We've called it mainstreaming, but if you come up with a better uh, denomination or definition of of, of naming this process, uh, please feel free to share. So let me start first maybe with the opportunities and then the challenges, because those are kind of interesting to to feed into the questions and then have a discussion. Uh, So obviously, uh, the the good thing about mainstreaming is that you can have a whole-of-government approach, that you uh, you share uh, the, the competences and the responsibilities for this area across different uh, government departments, uh, which also makes sense because integration is not it's not a fluffy thing. Integration means something concrete. It means uh, becoming part of society through education, through employment, in your neighbourhood. Uh, so it's actually very concrete, and there's no integration as such doesn't mean anything really, uh, unless it's uh, a part of uh, mainstream policy areas. It also means that you're addressing needs, not background, something that um, Liz also mentioned. Um, Not all immigrants have the same needs, and immigrants also don't have a monopoly over a type of need. Uh, These may be shared across uh, other population groups. And you, of course, also avoid stigmatisation or prioritisation of one population group over another. And it allows you smartly to, 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 to apply funds in an effective way. Now, that said, first of all, mainstreaming is not a goal in itself. It's a tool. It's a method. To, to reach a certain goal and we found that what, when talking to practitioners and also other experts that uh, at the beginning you always need to ask the question of who or what are you mainstreaming for, what is the ultimate goal of mainstreaming, mainstreaming in itself cannot be the goal uh, of, of immigrant integration policies or any other policy for that matter and at the same time mainstreaming is also not absolute We've seen that through our research, although of course it's it's preliminary, we've only uh, done this for a year and we're now continuing this through through Upstream, through our next project, is that a a sort of balance between targeted and and, and, uh, mainstream policies um, is usually uh, beneficial. However, what we feel now is that, uh, particularly also at the European level and uh, the political discourse in the Netherlands, for instance, is becoming harder and harder to talk about immigrant integration uh, so mainstreaming is also a way of of avoiding that discussion, so which is not necessarily a positive thing. Uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with this uh, as the, as the kind of political discourse in the UK about immigration and integration also can sometimes be a bit poisonous. but uh, how how to uh, how to talk about specific challenges and needs maybe in a different under a different definition. And then finally, one of the challenges as well of of, of mainstreaming is. If you share this responsibility or these competences across government level and across different departments, it's very easy to cut bits and pieces of these policies until, or of this policy until nothing remains, basically. If there's no one or a something or somebody, a body or an institution or a department within government tracking uh, how this policy is developing and who's doing what and if there's certain objectives and if these objectives are being met so if there's no sense of ownership, uh, as well as a sense of urgency, mainstreaming might as well fail. And then I wanted to open it up for, for a discussion with a, with a few questions that we had in mind when also looking at the, the, the UK context. First of all, given that, for instance, in, in the UK, um, mainstreaming is a kind of default position, we don't talk about uh, targeted policies or integration policy, but when do you think this has this has been a limit, and when 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 would it be useful to actually have more targeted approaches, perhaps within mainstream policies uh, such as education or employment uh, or youth policies uh, or social cohesion policies even, uh, and when when does such a mainstream approach suffice? How to really ensure uh, shared responsibilities? Uh, we know there's a uh, interministerial committees on social mobility, on equality. Uh, do, these, uh, do these work? Does it, um, if, if, if such an institution is, is formally appointed, do they actually have the mandate and the competence to, to go after other departments and say, are you doing your job or not? Um, and then how to identify uh, and address needs effectively. Uh, do we, is, there, is there more of a reactive uh, or proactive response uh, to a number of needs? And how do we uh, adapt uh, general policies? And then in the end, how to evaluate what works Depending on what kind of tools of measurement you have, uh, France was a very clear case in that that they're not they they're, they're basically prohibited or they they're, they're not allowed to um, evaluate whether policies work depending on ethnicity. They cannot track this. They can only assume that a certain policy will reach uh, a certain slice of the population. Uh, the UK obviously has, uh, has has better statistics. The Netherlands, for instance, also has. Uh, what can we learn from that?